Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is just all around pretty terrible, and it's a case that happened close to where I live in an area that I've been to many, many times. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Noah Tomlin was the second youngest of 10 children to his 34-year-old mother, Julia Tomlin. He was a sweet boy who was known for being energetic and affectionate. When his mom was pregnant with his baby sister, Cheyenne, he would kiss his mom's belly and say, I love you, sissy. But just six months after baby Cheyenne entered the world and he fell in love with his baby sister, Noah went missing. According to his mother, Julia, she put him to bed at 1 a.m. on the morning of June 24, 2019, in the 100 block of Atlantic Avenue in Hampton, Virginia. This is the Bayside Mobile Home Park, just a block or two away from Buckrow Beach. She said she went in to check on him the next morning, and he was just gone. She called 911 at 11.35 that afternoon and reported him missing. Like, I'm sure we all are. I'm getting really bad vibes that no one noticed a toddler missing for 10 and a half hours, let alone until 1130 a.m. As if he wouldn't have asked for 75 snacks and Noah wasn't potty trained and would have gone through at least two solid diapers at this point. Not to mention, they had another infant in the house who would have needed constant attention and diaper changes. So to think that they tended to her but didn't notice the absence of Noah just doesn't sit right. Everyone immediately goes all hands on deck. The police department, search and rescue teams, and even the neighbors. All you could hear in the immediate area was people yelling, Noah, Noah, Noah. The entrance to the mobile home park they lived in was completely blocked off, and people had to show their ID and confirm their address just to get in. Two CSI trucks were parked outside of the blue and white trailer Noah lived in, and it was completely cordoned off with police tape. A neighbor says crime scene investigators were seen wearing white bodysuits and bringing out bags and bags of evidence. The searches continue almost nonstop, day and night, using helicopters, drones, boats, ATVs, and canines. They search the mobile home park, the neighboring streets, the neighborhood in front of the complex, the beach, the land beside the mobile home park, and all of the surrounding areas, but no one finds anything. No footprints, not even his dirty diaper that would have probably sagged off by now. Julia says that Noah isn't a good walker, that he can only take a few steps without stumbling, and thinks that he's showing signs of autism. And knowing this, the likelihood of him wandering off on his own and making it out of the search area seems slim to none. By the end of search day one, local police have called in the state police and the FBI, and they asked the public to refrain from doing their own searches and to steer clear from the search area, which means they don't want anyone to inadvertently contaminate any evidence. 
Noah's parents were taken in for routine questioning, but it wound up taking a really, really ridiculously long time. I'm talking overnight long. Police don't release much information about them other than that it's the two parents who were in the home at the time that Noah disappeared. However, reporter Allison Mechanic confirms that there were three children living in the trailer with them at the time, a three-year-old, two-year-old Noah, and their six-month-old daughter Cheyenne, all of whom have since been removed from the home and placed into protective custody. And this isn't normal. If a child is just simply missing and the parents don't seem responsible or nothing is making the hairs on the backs of their necks stand up, the children would remain with their parents. But in this case, they didn't. The pair are eventually released from questioning and are free to go. But immediately following their release, Hampton police sends officers to the Bethel landfill. They say that it's a preliminary step in case the search leads them there, but a drone is seen above and they start taking pictures. And it's just too coincidental that they move from the home to the landfill after two people involved in the case are questioned. To boot, they've temporarily stopped any more trash from coming into the facility until further notice. This landfill is 13 miles away. No one genuinely believes that Noah made it three miles on foot and wound up lost in a landfill. Landfill searches are incredibly expensive and extensive. We've seen them used as last resorts in many cases, like the Lori Hacking case and the Jennifer Dulos case, and we're still waiting to see if we get one in the Monica Moynan case. Landfills don't just get searched on a whim. The police clearly have some information they're keeping to themselves, but their presence around town is painting a grim picture. They tell Wavy News 10 that they're not ruling anything out, including foul play, which means the parents, who were questioned for hours and hours on end and then even released, have not been ruled out as suspects. So I did a little digging. Julia Tomlin's Facebook picture is beautiful, but her cover photo is of her and this guy who's trying to look like Post Malone. And to be real, they look pretty high. I gave her some credit, thinking maybe she just liked putting bad pictures at the forefront of her social media, until I read a comment under her profile photo that says, You want me to stop by for the H or nah? You keep hitting me up, but you ain't saying shit. The guy in the profile picture refers to himself as a beautiful monster, and his photo is of a fortune cookie that reads, society prepares the crime, the criminal commits it, and I'm having a feeling that this picture isn't going to age well. Julia posted a picture of five of her kids just days before Noah went missing, and it said, my beautiful children. Underneath of it, someone commented, I'm so happy they finally wanted to see you. So were they taken away? Why hadn't they wanted to see their mother? And that's when I looked up her record. Virginia is a goldmine when it comes to public records, and Julia is no stranger to trouble. On October 30th of 2010, she was arrested for drunk in public, destroying property, and resisting arrest, which is what it is. But what stood out the most was the child neglect charge she had gotten just six months prior. She was sentenced in December of 2010 to five years in prison, but four years and seven months was suspended, so basically she got jack shit. 
On April 30th of 2010, her and her baby daddy, Justin Jones, left one of their one-year-old twins on top of a stove, who they claim fell over, ignited a burner, and got burned all over her back, shoulders, and arms. They did not seek medical treatment for their infant daughter until four days later, and that's when someone notified the police. Their one-year-old daughter had been living with excruciating burns for four entire days before her parents decided she needed help. All of their five children at the time of the burning incident were taken into protective custody and never returned. The oldest three were adopted six months later by their paternal grandparents, and the twins were adopted by another family. To add insult to all of this injury, the baby daddy, Justin Jones, who was also charged with neglect, was a registered sex offender who had been convicted just two years prior of sexual battery against a victim that was between the ages of 13 and 14 years old. I'd love to say that this was the last time Julia ever got her kids taken away from her, but it would be a lie. CPS records may not have shown up in her list of criminal charges, but 13 News did an interview with a woman just days after Noah went missing, and it was with Noah's former foster mother, Yolanda Earl, who learned about his disappearance on TV. She had been his foster care provider more than once since 2017, meaning the first time he was taken from Julia was when he was just a few months old, and this happened more than once. Yolanda refers to herself as his respite provider, which means she cared for him short term. Usually this happens between finding longer term foster care and then mentions that his foster families are also worried about him. Noah is only two and has had short-term foster care more than once, and from what it sounds like, more than one longer-term foster care families. After a couple days of searching, police say that they've exhausted all of their resources as far as finding a child who wandered off. Their command center is packed up, and their investigation is set to head in a new direction. They ask for any neighboring homes or businesses with cameras to contact police immediately. On day three of the search, police start keeping things a little closer to the vest. They've expanded to a new search location but won't say where, and instead of continuing to say that they're considering all options, they instead say that they can't tell the public about any persons of interest at this time, which sounds to me like there's a person of interest. And this means we aren't talking about a case of a runaway. And with the parents' previous history of drug abuse, which has now been confirmed by people who knew the couple, and their history of child neglect, all signs are pointing in one direction. A press conference is held, but no new information is given. They basically just tell us what they've been doing, which we've been able to watch in real time. The only relatively new detail is that Julia claims to have noticed Noel was missing between 11 a.m. and 11.15 a.m. and then called police a little after 11.30 a.m., which doesn't change anything. They still went 10 hours without noticing the toddler they put to bed at 1 a.m. was no longer in their tiny trailer. The police tape around the mobile home park is taken down, but the tape around Noah's home stays up. It's still a crime scene and no one is allowed in. At sunset, the searchers who were still at the landfill are seen leaving, but have plans to return the following day, telling Wavy News 10 that this is their focus now. On day four of the search, teams are back out at the landfill and crime scene vans are seen going in and out of the family trailer. 
Meanwhile, Julia decides to start texting with reporter Dan Kennedy from News 13, saying, I'm working real hard with law enforcement to find my baby. I can't have my location known or whereabouts of my other children for their safety, which is complete bullshit. I can't tell you what she's been doing to help law enforcement. She certainly sat willingly for questioning for an absurd amount of time, but I haven't seen any pleas for his safe return whatsoever. And her whereabouts don't infringe on the safety of her children, which we now know were taken from the home due to their living conditions after she made that call to police. Frankly, it's highly unlikely she even knows where they've been placed for their safety. Law enforcement searches the landfill all day, switching crews to keep eyes fresh and the heat at bay, but still nothing. But they're not giving up, and they plan to come back yet again, bright and early the next morning, to find anything that may lead them to baby Noah. The following day, the FBI puts up a billboard with a picture of Noah, which is a really old picture. It's from Halloween of 2018, but whatever. They ask that anyone with information call their number. They don't ask if anyone's seen him. They don't say to look out for him. They ask that if you have any info to call them. There was a press conference scheduled that day for 4 p.m., but it never happened. People waited and then got word that it was being rescheduled to 11 p.m. No one holds a press conference in the middle of the night for nothing. Everyone thinks this has to be it. This has to be the break in the case. Something has to have happened. And they were right. 11 p.m. comes and law enforcement announces that Noah's mother, Julia Tomlin, has been arrested and they believe that Noah is deceased. She's currently being held at the Hampton County Jail on three charges of felony child neglect. The offense date next to these charges is for two days before Noah was reported missing. Metro News adds that the three charges weren't all for Noah. They were for each individual child living at the home before Noah went missing. The three-year-old, Noah, and six-month-old Cheyenne. Julia's booking photo is one of the most obnoxious mugshots I've ever seen. She looks like a grumpy toddler. I'll post a picture of it in Noah's highlight at the top of my Instagram so you can see it. Noah's father, who just so happens to be the sex offender baby daddy from back in 2010, is also arrested on a probation violation. This is not the guy who was in the trailer the day that Noah went missing. The landfill continues to be their center of focus, and instead of heading home when the sun goes down that night, it turns into a 24-hour operation. A vigil is held in Noah's honor and candles spell out his name next to toys and posters all placed at a memorial around a tree by more than 100 people in the community. At the vigil, one of his foster mothers speaks out publicly for the first time. News 13 quotes her as saying, It's been awful. I just came out of the house yesterday because I miss that baby. Bless his heart. Those blue eyes. She talked about the day she met him and said, He got up on the couch and held my hand as if to say, I'm safe. But most shocking of all was his 15-year-old sister who stepped up to speak on behalf of her two-year-old brother. She had just met him two weeks ago. The Daily Press quotes her as saying, I'm sorry, Noah, wherever you are, I wish I could have met you sooner. 
On June 30th, the searches at the landfill abruptly lose their police presence and shift over to the Hampton NASA steam plant that burns some of the items from the landfill and they use it for energy at the Langley NASA Research Center. The Daily Press reports that a sign was placed out front that said, we will not be accepting trash until further notice. Julia is arraigned on July 1st, and according to Wavy News 10, she told the judge that she's disabled and only earns $771 a month. I'll remind you, she has 10 children. A bond hearing is set for July 3rd, but her attorney waived it, so she'll sit in jail until her next hearing in three weeks. On July 3rd, police order another press conference for noon that day, and everyone holds their breath. It's the news that no one wanted to hear. At 8.50 that morning, a week and a half after Noah was reported missing, an officer found the remains of who they believed to be two-year-old Noah Tomlin at the NASA steam plant. They don't comment on the condition of his remains other than to say that he had not been incinerated, but it's clear that his identity has to be confirmed through something other than recognition. For the first time since this happened, the grandmother of the three oldest children, Cindy Jones, speaks out in a Facebook group called Where's Noah? created by Lydia and Jamie. She explains the family dynamic that's currently going on with all ten of Julia's children. She maintains custody of the oldest three. The twins obviously remain with the family who adopted them after the burning incident. The three other boys are now in custody of their fathers. Noah has been murdered, and Cindy is under the impression that her son, the biological father of the oldest three, is also Noah's father, and six-month-old Cheyenne is currently in foster care. The Daily Press reports that they sent in a request for all calls to service to her trailer that she had lived in since July of 2018, so almost a year, and they weren't given the list citing the ongoing investigation, but they did note that it was 75 pages long. Police were called that many times to a trailer belonging to a woman who had lost custody of every single one of her children at least once. Julia had a history of child abuse, neglect, and drug abuse, and the system failed every single one of her children, putting them in and out of foster care only to give them right back to their abuser, and for Noah, that was a fatal decision. Cindy had initially thought that Noah's disappearance was a sick prank that Julia was playing on Noah's father to get back at him. He had moved to California two years ago for work and didn't find out about Julia's pregnancy until he was there. He was traveling back to Virginia from California on June 22nd when, instead of coming straight to Julia's trailer, he decided to stop and see his parents and older children first. They all figured that this was one of the various stunts that Julia was known to pull to try and get his attention, but... This time, it wasn't. To throw a wrench in all of this, her son, Justin Jones, may not even be Noah's father at all. The Daily Press reports that Julia had a recorded conversation between herself and the sister of a man Julia was seeing off and on in the year and a half prior to Noah being born, and Julia told her that there was a very big chance her brother was Noah's father. There's no father listed on Noah's birth certificate. After this phone call, I shit you not, Julia requested a DNA test be performed on Noah's body to determine who his father was, as if that changes anything ever. Everyone stands by and waits for any details or charges in the death of baby Noah, but nothing. 
A week passes with no new information. Finally, 10 days after he was found, the medical examiner officially confirms that the remains found at the NASA steam plant were in fact those of baby Noah Tomlin, not that there was ever any doubt. But now that he's been positively identified, we wait for the cause of death and the charges to follow. While everyone waits, Wavy News 10 gets a hold of a few court documents that add some new insight into the case. They find that there was one independent witness, which is just anyone who saw Noah besides Julia before she reported him missing. He was the baby daddy of one of the older kids in the home and saw Noah on the 22nd around 1 p.m. The second person police talked to doesn't describe himself as Julia's boyfriend, just someone who is involved in her and the kids' lives who offers financial support. And that smells really bad from where I'm sitting. This guy voluntarily turned over two of his cell phones. The fact that he has more than one low-key verifies my instincts here. When police went to pull his location data from the phones, there was none. This guy was an Uber driver and his phone had no location data on it at all anymore. Police say that it's all consistent with it having been deleted. What a coincidence. An undercover officer wound up tailing cell phone guy and proceeded to watch him pull out and use a third phone that did not match the other two he had given to police. We're up to three phones now, two with missing location data and another that he never turned over. At the end of July 2019, Julia has her second day in court and is denied bond. She will again sit in jail until her preliminary hearing on the felony neglect charges on September 17th. The entire month of August goes by without any update on the case. No cause of death, no charges, nothing. It is silent. September comes and goes, and her preliminary hearing is continued until December 9th. Wavy 10 says the defense asked for a continuation for more time to go over Noah's final medical examiner's report, which they expect to be completed in October. I'm not entirely sure how this is relevant to her neglect charges, though, since she is still yet to be charged with murder. On October 21st, WRIC releases some more information from some court documents from the Department of Forensic Science, and it's worse than I think anyone could have imagined. Those crime scene investigators that were seen going in and out of that trailer time and time again found multiple sources of blood evidence from inside Noah's trailer of horrors. They found nine bloodstains on a bedsheet, blood on a headboard, blood on a toy chest, and six bloodstains on a 5T shirt, likely belonging to his brother who was just a year older than he was. The department could not eliminate Noah as a contributor to those bloodstains. The way it's described sounds a lot like spatter, which one, makes me think that Noah was beaten to death, and two, that they might have done this in front of his three-year-old brother. Finally, on October 31st, a news conference is held and law enforcement announces that Julia Tomlin has officially been charged in the death of her son. Her charges include murder and the disposal of a human person. Noah's cause of death is also released, and it is soul-crushing. Blunt force trauma and battered child syndrome. 
He died from two massive skull fractures that the ME said were so severe he'd expect to see the same kind of injury if a toddler was dropped from a multiple-story building. They had to do this autopsy with what they referred to as partial parts and pieces of his remains, and even those pieces showed signs of repeated and consistent abuse. He suffered abuse so severe that his bones stopped growing, either from the trauma or from malnutrition. Many of Noah's injuries had tried to heal themselves, but the skull fractures had not. The other injuries to his body had happened over a period of time well before he was murdered in his home. Noah also had jaw fractures, hip fractures, and bruising to his hips. He had been tortured and tortured and tortured. WTKR reports that police believe someone else helped Julia dispose of Noah's remains and that this person drove his body, which had been placed in a garbage bag, to a dumpster where it was then taken to the landfill or steam plant. Julia allegedly told police that no one else was involved, but that friend with the missing location data on two of his three phones certainly paints a more shifty narrative. I assume that her statement that no one else was involved means that she'll enter a guilty plea at that hearing on November 4th. At this hearing, they reveal that just four days after reporting her son missing, Julia told the FBI that Noah had fallen in the shower and hit his head. She claimed to have tried to give him CPR. I'm guessing that is what triggered the search at the landfill. She later took it back and said that that never happened and that she only told police that to prove a point, to which she didn't unless the point was that she's a homicidal liar. They also reveal that Julia purchased and used heroin the night before Noah died while there were three kids, three and under, in the same house. The guy she bought the heroin from was one of her baby daddies. It's no shock that the judge ruled that there was enough probable cause to present the case to a grand jury. In mid-January of this year, Julia Tomlin was finally indicted for second-degree murder. The other three felony child neglect charges stick, along with the disposal charge, and they tack on one additional charge of child abuse for the torture Noah endured. Her trial is set for March 9, 2020, but we should know by now that court almost never goes according to schedule. Instead of her trial beginning in March, her attorney requests a mental evaluation. That was scheduled to take place on the 20th. Her new trial date will be decided after she's evaluated, but coronavirus. I looked up her case on the Virginia docket, and it looks like she has another hearing scheduled for July 8th regarding the mental evaluation. I'll update you as soon as I get any updates regarding this case and the fight for justice that little Noah and those other nine children deserve. For all photos and maps pertaining to this case, check out Noah's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about today's case. If you like your podcast ad-free, check out our Patreon at patreon.com/bigmadtruecrime, where for just one dollar a month, all of your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just five dollars a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you will also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. (laughs) 